How many of you like to handle your problems on your own? Like you're just kind of one of those people. You don't really like teamwork, you know. You like to just handle it, you know. Maybe you're one of those people at your job, for instance, it's like uh, I I just can't have people work with me because they just drive me crazy and I have to like tell them everything and I have to train them. I just do it myself, you know. Some of you, the reality is, is your kind of work maybe is that way where you're the only one that knows how to do what you do. Um, And we have a tendency, I think, as Americans to be very independent to look to ourselves try to figure everything out i was thinking about uh, and we have some farmers in our midst but it if you've uh, known many folks that have grown up on the farm they are uh, people that generally or at least in the past uh, they just had to figure things out it wasn't like you could just call somebody and so it kind of raises a, a people that are um, able to figure things out they're resourceful um, that is something that is, uh, you know, in, in this day and age, that's even changing on the farm because uh, a modern tractor is like, uh, I mean, if you've ever been inside one, it's like there's GPSs and big screens and who knows how to even drive. I mean, it drives itself, you know, but it is um, one of those things that I think that when we look at situation, we think, man, we, we kind of, uh, like I said, sometimes want to f- say, well, I'll just figure it out. Uh, it is um, maybe more and more there are things that you might just toss it instead of figure it out. I mean, you just have to start over. But uh, for some of you that still like are maybe not as domesticated as others and you do kind of try to figure it out, a lot of you probably go to Google uh, or and, and then a YouTube video pops up and you watch it and then you say, I can do this, you know, uh, and then you call somebody later when it don't work out. But no. Recently, uh, Ryan was working on something for the church, and uh, he decided uh, to, to go the Google and route, and uh, he studied up, and he put it all together, and it was great, except for like one piece. Uh, we didn't know this, but there was one piece that wasn't just right, and so he goes back to Google, and I'm like, forget Google, you know, like, call this guy, you know, and then he's kind of grumbling about that, and finally he does, and the guy says, hey, replace this part, we'll all be good, and everybody will be happy, and in reality, most of the time, like, his route is, like, much better, you know, he's like, I am listening to other voices, it's just like 10,000 people said this was great, and I was like, I don't care, you know, we had a big fight, but it's, um, and then, like, when he walked away, he was grumbling, be like, I can't stand old men. And I'm thinking, like, I'm not that old, you know. But anyway, I say all that to say sometimes we, we, we get to that place, and for some of us, it is harder for us to get there where we say, hmm, I can't fix it. Like, I really, I just can't fix it. David finds himself in trouble and nothing, not even modern things, would be able to fix that. He couldn't just look something up. He needed to go beyond anything that he could find on earth. He had to go and plead his case in heaven. And that's the place that he were where he was. He needed an advocate and a warrior that was superior to him. And he was one of the greatest. 
And it is a reminder today to us to say, you know what, where do I go when I say to myself, this is above my head? Where do I go? And what do I find myself doing? Do I find myself doing that quickly or am I slow to do so? And I think that's something we have to ask ourselves regularly. What, who am I seeking to rescue me? And we, we've talked about even recently how some of us have a tendency when we do find ourselves in hot kind of water, uh, we, we have area, places that we go. Like there's a well-beaten path that you have whenever trouble comes. And you run that path, and then if you find yourself kind of empty-handed, you're, I don't know if you ever read that book, Who Moved My Cheese? You all ever read that book? What you basically do is like you stand there and you begin to starve. And you say, what can I do? The cheese was here last time, you know. And all of a sudden, I find myself hopeless. Now, we get to this psalm, and you're like, if you, I, I, and, and Mike just read it. And sometimes when you read log portions, you might say, ooh, I'm not sure I really got all that. Just, just note this, like in the people that categorize psalms, they would call this an imprecatory psalm. And basically, it is a psalm where David is calling upon, like, God to judge his enemies. And, and you might be like, man, I mean, do we pray that today? I mean, do you, your neighbor makes you mad, you get on your knees that night, Lord, strike that man, you know? Like, I mean, hopefully you're not doing that exactly. I mean, you know, maybe you think a little bit before you uh, do that. It was interesting. Joe and I were talking. He's not here today, so I can talk about him. We were talking the other day about, like, he has these hummingbird feeders, and uh, the honeybees are going after his hummingbird feeders, so he's moved them. He said, that's driving me more crazy. You can't imagine how mad that's making me. He'll move it to here, move it to there, and those honeybees will find it. And the poor, like, hummingbirds are sitting there quietly, which I don't know if they do that, and just kind of, like, thinking, like, what will we ever do? We'll never get our, anything to drink. But anyway, I say that because I think when you're looking at, at this situation and, and, you're, and you're thinking, okay, how do we deal with a psalm like this I think you have to consider a number of things because a lot of you would probably say in the New Testament, Jesus says, forgive your enemies, bless those who curse you, those kind of things. How, how do we deal with this? So I'm going to give you a couple of reasons why I think David rightly prays what he prays and how we might participate in that same type prayer. So first is this, David is the king. That's just important to note. He has a different role than just an individual in the kingdom. He is the king. And he has a responsibility to preserve order and protect the kingdom. In this type of um, government, you might say, and that it's different than ours, in a monarchy, like the executive, legislative, and judicial, all were encompassed in the king. And so he sits there as the seated sovereign over the state. And so it's not only that, but it's also God's state. that God, God anointed him and placed him as king. And so his position required him to like 
protect what was going on there. Because God said, these people are the apple of my eye. I've chosen them for myself, and I have placed you in the place of executing like judgment and, and protecting and preserving this state. And so when David is in trouble, the kingdom is in trouble. And when David is attacked, the kingdom is attacked. And it's God's kingdom. And so it's just it's a little bit different here when you're thinking in terms of that. By the way, there are plenty of examples where David is on a personal level attacked and he does not defend himself. But again, it would be like a judge not doing his job or a police officer not doing their job. That would be kind of like one way of comparing this. Second is, in this instance, David is right in fighting for justice. He is in the right. He's on the right side of this particular situation. Thirdly, I think as we're reading it as Christians, what we have to say is, because you might say, well, so what does that mean for us? Like, what do we do? Well, one, our king is King Jesus, right? That's one thing you have to say. The other is, is that we are following him today. And, and, and the road that we are on is the road of suffering. What I mean by that is the disciples, he told them, listen, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. We are in a state of, at a one level, humiliation because we are serving uh, in, in the footsteps of Christ, we are having the attitude of Christ. We are following Him in, in, this, in this present state that we are in as subjects of His kingdom. We are more identified with the cross than we are the crown. We're awaiting that future uh, crown. We are awaiting the future glory. But right now, we're in this state of humiliation. And so, I would just say to you, and I think that's very important... When we understand this and we're thinking about this as being a part of a heavenly kingdom that is already but not yet awaiting the coming return of Christ. We are following in his footsteps uh, through this present age, knowing that part of what it means to follow him is to endure suffering. So we're not warring against in, in the way that we would think against this present age. Now, the fourth thing I would say about this is that does not mean that when we see God exercising his authority over the kingdoms of the earth and bringing judgment that we would not rejoice. I think one of the things that you see certainly in the Revelation, but also even in the time of someone like, for instance, Hitler, when he is taken down and you rejoice in God's like sovereignty over that and you praise him for it so that took a little bit for you to think about but I just want you to think about what he is praying and and again our natural tendency to think man what do we do with that and that's rightly so do we pray in that way we do when we see the big picture but we understand that right now we're, we're kind of walking through this age knowing that trouble will be a part of it and but we still want justice to come And so every time we do pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, we are praying something of this. So just kind of put that in your mind as you go. Now, we're going to break this up in three sections, and I'm not going to, I mean, going to move 
relatively quickly, but I just want you to see it. And you have these three sections, and it, they'll begin with a prayer and end with a note of confidence. Verses 1 through 10, 11 through 18, and 19 through 28. That, that's how they're broken up. That's how this psalm is broken up. And if you've been at Christ Community Church for a while, you realize we try to allow the text to drive what we talk about. I'm giving you what I believe the scripture is about. So if you're marking that up, you can say verse 1 to 10, 11 through 18, 19 through 28. And verses 1 through 3, as you're looking at it, are kind of introductory in nature. And what you'll see here is it kind of introduces the whole situation. And this is the situation. Listen, this is what David is saying. I need an advocate. And I need a warrior. Those are the two things. In a way, he's saying, God, please be my attorney. And God, please be my uh, general that would come down and save me. I, I need both of those things right now. So I need you to help me out. And you'll see that the word contend in the English maybe is not as clear, but it's like plead my case. Come down here and plead my case. People are witnessing against me. God, you know really what's going on. Come down and be my witness. And then also he says, God, come down with your armor on and wipe these enemies out. That's kind of the breakdown of what is taking place. So, then the last section, so you're going to see that in two sections, but then the last section is going to kind of bring those two things together. So what's the key point? Every believer should confidently pray for two outcomes in their lives, intervention from God and deliverance from God. So that he would bring about both of these things. So let's look at it. We'll move through fairly quickly, but I just want you to notice what's happening in verses 1 through 10. David is facing an enemy that's seeking to destroy him. Like that, that's just what David's facing this enemy, he's seeking to destroy him. And really, he, he, he's crying out for a great warrior to come. They are seeking to kill him. They are pursuing him. They're, they're running after him. They're, they're not running after him with goodness and mercy. They are running after him and he is, is being pursued with one that wants to destroy him. It's, um, do y'all remember in the movie Cars where uh, they go out like, I don't know where they, it's like cow tipping or whatever. Y'all remember that? They're like tractor tipping. And then they look up and all of a sudden this combine's like raging after them and they're like driving away. David is being chased and pursued. And they're, they're coming after him to bring him to destruction. And basically he says, Lord, you come down with your armor and you attack these. He's presenting us really in verses 1 through 10 a battle. And he's saying, Lord, I need you to come and drive them away. Make them turn and run. And we've seen that. If you read the Old Testament, you'll see these moments where you're like, God shows up and everybody, they're either like killing themselves or taking off running. You're thinking, how in the world did he do this? And God does that over and over and over again. Let them be carried away. Let them, he says, that they might, may, may they like travel at night on a slippery path. 
It's, it's, um, I, I remember not long ago, we were at, we walked this long trail, we get to this waterfall, and the rocks, you know, the water's always hitting the rocks, they're always wet, and so Will's going, going down there, and he just thinks he's going to like, you know, he's running through there, and the whole time I'm like, good night, I mean, I feel like I'm, I'm in like the last of Mohicans movie, but at the same time, like he's probably not, I mean, he's not wearing, you know, shoes with like little suckers on there to keep him I mean, how, is he going to make it? Like, he's running through, you know. Anyway, in this moment, you're saying, like, listen, he's saying, look, let them go at night, not being able to see what they are about to encounter and let them slip and fall. That They've been seeking to destroy me and now let them face the very end that they have sought for me. He calls upon God to send down the angel of the Lord. The great warrior throughout the Old Testament. Most people see him as the pre-incarnate second person of the Trinity who shows up to deliver and to execute judgment. Most people understand it in that way and he is crying out, God send him. In a way, and you'll see the angel of the Lord often treated as God. God, you come down and fight. Why would he feel right about asking for this? Look at verse 7. Just look at this real quick with me and you'll see. For without cause they hid their net for me. Without cause they dug a pit for my life. There's no reason for what they are doing. So, you say, okay, what is this song about? David is crying out for God to save him. First, he says, God, come as a great warrior. And we're presented with a battle. And then at the conclusion of that, you'll see his confidence. He believes God is going to answer his prayer. Then the second thing we see, look at verses 11 through 18. It's like a lawsuit is set up. You see these malicious witnesses rise up. So it's almost like they take the stand and they're trying to destroy him. They are concocting things. It reminds you of the time when Jesus, they come, the court comes together and somebody had put together these witnesses and the witnesses didn't even agree about him. They didn't even have any idea what to say about him. And so these people are lying and he's like, Lord, come plead my case. I I need an advocate to come and and speak and and, and make sense of all of this. Like I I need you to bring a clear case. They're lying, they're deceptive, and they're trying to destroy me. But on top of that, I've done the exact opposite with them. Have you ever been in a case like that? I've had friends in that kind of place where they have gone out of their way to help someone. And then the very one that they helped are now attacking them. Or trying to bring them down and trying to destroy them. And so he says, not only do I need a great warrior, I need an advocate that will stand in my place and defend me. That will fight for me against these who are lying and concocting lies. They have conspired against him. They're mocking him. They've fabricated this story. 
All the while, he is the one who has shown them like great mercy in their time of need. He's prayed for them. You notice that in this text. He's grieved with them. He's lamented for them or with them. He's done all of these things when they were in a, a weak place. He, he was fighting for them. When, when, when they needed someone to, to protect the door, kind of. When they needed someone to fight for their life, He was there. And now when He needs someone to do the same, they decide it is a moment of weakness that they will take advantage of. He says, how long, O Lord, will you look on? Rescue me from their destruction. My precious life from the lions. It's like there's a pride of lions there waiting to devour, looking for a moment to take this one in a weakened condition and tear him down. It's what lions do. It's what they do. They take advantage of that moment that there's someone, there's a one that is weak, young, vulnerable, and they encircle it and they devour it. And that is the place that he finds himself in. He is not guilty, but they pronounced him guilty. And he needs the Lord as his defense. Verse 18, he's confident. I will thank you in the great congregation and the mighty throng. I will praise you. Lord, don't worry. All the credit will go with you. So, you have a battle. You have a lawsuit. Third is the issue of kind of deliverance overall. And it really encompasses both of those things. It kind of picks up both of the themes that are on display here, but he asked again for deliverance. He asked for the mighty champion and advocate to save him. He goes back, they've concocted a lie, and he's asking him, please, Lord, vindicate me. Like that, the one thing I, I want to be vindicated, Lord, I want it, it to be known that they have lied against me and they've unjustly come against me to destroy me. Make that clear. Vindicate me, Lord. I need you to stand and do that for me. Sometimes you may say, I feel like a fool for following or honoring Christ or living for Him as the nations and the peoples and the general direction of, of, of this age is just running opposite of that. And you think, I'm, I, what's going on here? And you look to this, some of texts like some of the texts like these, and say, "The Lord will vindicate His saints. I know He will. I believe that. I trust that, and I will praise Him for it." All right. So now, y'all ready? Y'all ready? We're about to get. I want you to understand some really important things. And again, we could look at this on a lot of different fronts. But I want you to think about his calling down of the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ. And some of you might say, if only I could call him down now. Like, why can't I do that? When I'm in trouble, can I, what's going on with that? Can I call him down to fight for me? Guess what? 
We have more than David had. If the angel of the Lord was the pre-incarnate second person of the Trinity, we have experienced the incarnate second person of the Trinity. Is that better? God incarnate came to us. The Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son of God, came down to us. He did not come to be just address one battle. He came to address the great battle. The battle of all battles. If you're to look at the end of 1 Peter 3, we don't have time to look at that together, you know, work through the whole thing, but you could say, what did he, who did he defeat? Has he ever come down and really defeated our foes? The end of 1 Peter 3 says this, He died and so He reigns over sin. He was raised and so He reigns over death. He preached to the spirits in prison and so He reigns over hell. He ascended and is seated at the right hand of God and so He reigns over all. And in His ascension, He is seated there today, interceding on behalf of His saints, and He is there reigning perpetually as the one who was the great victor who is now interceding on behalf of His people forever. You are not longing for what David longed for. You have much more than what David experienced. Exponentially more. Victory has come and we are to really continually remind ourselves that the victorious warrior came down and defeated death, hell, sin, the grave, and he reigns now today interceding on our behalf and it is so much superior to that of David. You might say, well, hold on just a second. I've read about the martyrs. I've read about people being persecuted. I've read about people like experiencing great trouble for the cause of Christ. And I would say to you, do you understand? Like I said, you're living in the time right now. You're, you're living in the shadow of the cross as you follow in the footsteps of Christ, as you deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Him. But that is not something, a, a place of weakness really. It's It's not. He is with us. He is fighting for us. He is defending us. And He will ultimately do so in glorious fashion. So I want you to turn to the Revelation. And I want you to see this. Turn to Revelation chapter 6. And we're going to look through a number of texts real quick. But it won't take me long. I just want you to see it. Because if you're struggling with, is God for us? Is God fighting for us? Or has God fought for us? Or is God interceding on our behalf? Or do I not have any connection to Him? Do I not have any confidence in Him? Do I not have any hope in Him? Revelation 6, 10, 11, they cried out with a loud voice, O sovereign Lord, holy and true, how long before you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? They were each given a white robe and told, rest a little longer until the number of the fellow servants and their brothers should be complete who were to be killed as they themselves had been. What what is he saying? One thing he's saying is this. The saints, 
Those who are martyred for the faith, those who gave their life and spent their life for the cause of Christ, those people are not... Their death, their suffering, was the pathway to glory. When the enemy sought to destroy them and silence them, he didn't know he's doing them a favor. They are gathered before the throne of God. If you go on down, you'll see, because we said Revelation has these snapshots of the end, but the coming great day of God's wrath, you'll notice, then the kings on the earth in verse 15. Sorry, 6.15. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling out to the mountains and rocks, fall on us because of the, the wrath of the Lamb has come. If you keep moving forward and you kind of get another snapshot, you'll see in Revelation 17 the world system in 17, 5, and 6. And what you see is there's this great Babylon, this mother of prostitutes, and she is drunk on the blood of the saints. She, she has filled her life ferociously seeking to destroy the people of God. But when you get to Revelation 18, guess what? She is destroyed forever. And then in Revelation 19, if you want to get how heaven responds to this, in Revelation 19 it says, After this I heard what seemed to be the loud voice of a great multitude in heaven crying out, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. For His judgments are true and just. For He has, ju he has judged the great prostitute who corrupted the earth with her immorality and has avenged on her the blood of His servants. Once more they cried out, Hallelujah, the smoke from goes up forever and ever and the 24 elders and the four living creatures creatures fell down and worshiped God who was seated on the throne saying amen hallelujah you say what does this all mean for us it means that what David was praying for and experienced in small form we have experienced victory today. We know He's interceding on our behalf, but we are looking forward to a day when not just one little battle is addressed, but that all of the cosmos will be addressed and all those who are in rebellion against God will be crushed and He will set up a kingdom for His people forever and they will know the great wonder of having the Lord and Savior who is our advocate and our defender in fullness. Revelation 19, keep moving here. I want you to see Him. Then I saw heaven open. Behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True. And in righteousness He judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one else knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe dipping in, dipped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heaven, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him 
on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God the Almighty. On his robe and on his thigh he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Something today about this psalm that is saying to you, you say, I'm discouraged. I'm in a place of darkness. There's sorrow just overwhelming me. I'm in fear of my life. Someone's attacking me. All of these things. And what do you do? You do what the revelation tells us. The revelation paints a picture. And it says, capture this snapshot. Like put it on the wall of your house. Get this in your mind. You have a great advocate. You have a great warrior. You have what David never had in so much greater measure than David ever experienced. He knew the pre-incarnate one. You know the incarnate Christ. And you've been able to see this picture that the one who came and suffered and died and you're following in his footsteps now, he reigns eternally. And He is returning and He will set up His kingdom and you have hope and assurance and glory and promise of the wonder of knowing Him forever. Revelation 21 says, they heard, He kind of explaining the new heavens and the new earth, He says, and I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, Adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice. Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. And he will dwell with them. And they will be his people. And God himself will be their God. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. This light and momentary affliction... It is real. This light and momentary sorrow, it's real. But it has nothing to compare to the glory. And what you do, because you're going to face sorrow. You're going to face brokenness. You're going to cry out, where's my advocate? You're going to come to that place where you say, the enemies are encircled around me. And I just have to keep painting the picture in my mind, getting the snapshot in my mind, looking at that painting once again and say, I have one. I have the great high priest. I have the King of kings and Lord of lords on my side. I have the one who reigns over all. And he has come and he saved me. And when He returns, He will save me forevermore. Wherever you are today, wherever you find yourself, know this, you will find yourself in this psalm. But like David with confidence, you can say, in the darkest of night, the bright light of the glorious gospel shines down upon me and like overtakes me 
with this reality. Goodness and mercy have followed me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We pray that we would love to hear. That we would delight in. That we would treasure what you say to us. We have more confidence than David that we have an advocate and a great deliverer. And we praise you for that. In Christ's name, amen.